welcome back to What China Wants with me, Sam Olson, and of course, Stuart Patterson. And today we are talking about technology again, but specifically around a bit of technology that not many people even know exists, but which is completely vital to our day-to-day lives and increasingly so, and that is the Internet of Things. And to do so, Stuart and I are joined by Charlie Parton, who actually many of you listening to this podcast will already know because he's a quite renowned now commentator on what China's up to around the world and is officially a senior associate fellow at RISI, the Royal United Services Institute here in the UK. Now, Charlie spent 22 years of his 37-year diplomatic career working in or on China, Hong Kong and Taiwan, and was actually chosen as the UK Parliament's Foreign Affairs Committee Special Advisor on China. The reason we've got Charlie on today is to talk about a new paper he's written about the Internet of Things. So welcome, Charlie. Thank you for having me. Charlie, in a nutshell, tell us about your paper and about the risk it highlights. Well, it all stemmed from the past when I was looking at the Huawei business, and several of us were deeply opposed to what the British government's policy seemed to be at the time. Eventually, the British government, I think, made a wise decision on that. But then looking around, we could see that governments were were tending to play whack-a-mole and say, well, well, we don't like Hikvision or we don't like Dahua or whatever it is when there are many more serious threats that perhaps should be counteracted in a, in, a, in a more generic fashion. And the most obvious one of those was cellular Internet of Things modules. Not a phrase that I have to say I was that familiar with a, a year ago, but I have certainly become so. And it's not an item that most of our politicians on either side of the Atlantic have ever heard about or ever really considered. And yet, as you said in your introduction, these are increasingly important. They're they're in so many different uses, whether that's industrialization, energy, transport, security, you know, point of sale terminals, smart meters, and when you start getting to the home, cars, doorbell cameras, you name it. I mean they are just enormously important. Perhaps I should just start by explaining what exactly one of these cellular modules is. That might be helpful, I suspect. I think so, yes. <laughs> I mean, in essence, it's a very small piece. I mean, only a you know a couple of centimeters square, probably, but very powerful, embedded with sensors, you know, software antennae, at geolocation capability, processors, and it connects up to the internet, rather like your your cellular phone does. But it's very useful because in when you have systems that you really can't afford to drop out, like the Wi-Fi dropped out, then these don't connect through through Wi-Fi. So if you have a multi-million pound industrial line, which you can't afford a break in production will cost you a lot of money, you want to connect through these things. They link up with each other. Uh, they pass data to and from so that you can improve your systems. And they have the potential also of passing the data back to the people that manufacture them. And therein lies a really big danger. Because increasingly what the Chinese are doing is trying to ensure that the three companies which produce these cellular modules, the Chinese ones, there are plenty of European, American and Japanese and Korean companies that also produce them. But what they want to do is establish, you might say, a triopoly or a monopoly on the market. They currently have 54% by sales, 75% by connectivity. And I dare say, very few of your listeners would have heard of the likes of Quectel, Fibercom. They may have heard of China Mobile, which is actually the smallest of the three, whereas almost everyone would have heard of Huawei. And yet I think in the longer term, these cellular modules by these companies are probably as great, if not a greater threat to our systems and societies. 
So again, just if I may very briefly say why it's such a threat. First of all, if you create a dependency by holding a monopoly, and these companies like so many Chinese champions are given very advantageous financing and subsidies and various other methods to ensure that they try to achieve this. But if you achieve that, then we in, in our countries become dependent upon them. And we've seen what Chinese companies or the Chinese Communist Party will do when you get a dependency. I mean, just look at what happened during COVID with PPE and other equipment. They will use it for political ends. And so that's one danger, the dependency danger. Another is the fact that vast amounts of data are are going back to China. And you can make some very interesting, one might say, tools or instruments out of data. And we can discuss how that might be. And, And thirdly, of course, because the whole point of these things is that data goes in and out and you update the software to improve systems or whatever, you could put into them some software which, again, allows you, in effect, to do some really rather disruptive things like mess up a country's grid or bring its traffic to a halt. And again, we can discuss instances of how this might happen. So from those three areas, we've got, I think, to be very careful not to allow this quiet plan to to proceed unimpeded. So, Johnny, we've been here before, haven't we, in terms of China sort of cultivating dependencies on, on new technologies and seeking to establish monopolistic positions. In your view at the moment with regards to the Internet of Things, is the biggest barrier to concerted action an economic one in terms of corralling the necessary support to push back against this uh, attempt at creating a dependency? Or or is it still a political one in the sense that there is not yet a realisation amongst uh, Western policymakers that China is capable of a sort of a malign intent in, uh, in using this sort of geoeconomic policy to create influence? Well, much of it, I think, is what you say at the end there. I mean, first of all, I think governments, free and open countries, if you like, it's a better expression than Western, are, are beginning to realise that China really is a threat. It really is a hostile power. And therefore, we shouldn't allow these dependencies to be created. That's still not necessarily so embedded in our government's mind that it achieves a higher priority than sometimes some of the more immediate gains of, let's say, you know, a cheaper alternative. And it's cheaper for a reason, precisely so that they can get these monopolies. So that's one thing. The other thing is that as I've gone around talking to governments on both sides of the Atlantic and indeed in Brussels, people simply don't know what a cellular IoT module is. They've not heard of it. And again, I will be quite honest and say that, you know, back at the start of last year, I didn't either. So it's a learning process. And there are other differences. I mean, I think that the sorts of instruments that the Americans in particular have been drawing up and using don't quite apply. I mean, in the sense that much of what America's doing, if you take the sort of chips out and semiconductors, is stopping the export of technology to China. But these things, these modules aren't actually that high tech for a start. And furthermore, it's not a question of exports. It's the imports of these into our countries that that is the problem. And so we need to devise ways of ensuring that individuals, companies, governments, defense contractors, whatever, don't put these devices in whatever equipment or processes that they've got because of the dangers that, that I've outlined. 
Okay, Charlie, so what are those dangers? Let's, let's just drill down to that because if we had someone from one of these companies here sitting today, I'm sure that they would do exactly what Huawei did when that whole Huawei issue kicked off a few years ago to say, you know, the dangers that you're saying could happen just simply aren't true. We are an, you know, an honourable company with no links to the Chinese Communist Party. And what you're saying in terms of the actual specificities of the backdoors and stuff just isn't isn't correct. So tell us, looking at it from a slightly cynical point of view, how would you argue back, push back on someone from these companies if they challenged you on your view that there is a danger? And how do you qualify that danger in the first place? Well, as, as a sort of general comment, of course, these companies, I mean, Huawei is a particular one, I think it probably loved discussing its ownership and they said, well, we're a private company or whatever. Um, it's entirely irrelevant. In a sense, even the, the security laws that China has, which oblige companies and individuals to hand over any data requested by the security organizations, even those you don't need to say, oh, well, let's point to those. Because anyone who's spent any time in China knows that if the Chinese Communist Party says to anybody, company or individual, jump, the only answer is certainly how high. And, and so, of course, Huawei and others, if asked, would have to pass over this data. And of course, when you think about Huawei and TikTok and others who solemnly said, whether it's to the American Congress or to our parliament, no, no, we don't repatriate, as it were, the, the data back to China, and then have been caught lying. They do. And ultimately, it comes down to a matter of trust, because these devices, you know, they're updated on a very frequent basis. That's the whole point. You improve the processes, not just their own functioning, but the processes that they control. And so devise a piece of software that you could then put in would be a matter of a day's work, probably. And trying to find it would be very, very difficult. And so you can actually egress the data, or you can switch the device off remotely. And I just think that given the nature of the Chinese Communist Party, its control over its companies and individuals, it would be irresponsible of government to allow such weapons to be placed in their hands. And presumably, Charlie, one of the issues here is that the United Kingdom tends to import a lot of these things indirectly in the sense that they're already embedded in hardware that we import. And so in a way, it's not our decision. It's further down the supply chain where a decision has to be made to change supplier, cut the Chinese supplier out. And that requires quite a high degree of sort of multilateral cooperation, I would imagine. Well, and, and decisions by individual companies. I mean, you may have seen on the 6th of January a report in iNews about the British security authorities worried about data emanating from a government car. They didn't give the full details, but it wasn't just one car, it was many cars, and it was from some quite important people. And, you know, the, the car company will have not thought very hard about the cellular module will be part of a larger computer component that would have been slotted into the car, and they will be looking at price and performance and, and not really worrying that it was from China. What we don't know is what exactly turned the British authorities' attention to that particular car, whether it was routine or whatever. But the point is that, yes, your car has one of these things, and if it's a Quectel module or a Fibercom module, then indeed the data can be accessed remotely from China. And I think cars is a quite a good example to take because you've 
you know, seen in the paper some of the comment about this issue in, in recent days. And there's been a lot of sort of jokes, ho, ho, well, my fridge is informing on me or, or whatever, or my doorbell. And isn't that funny? Well, it isn't really very funny. Cars are a good example. If every day your car is registering it to its computer and the cellular module too, that it's parked in, let's say, in a certain place in Cheltenham, well, yes, you work at NSA. Or, you know, if you parks every day in Langley, Virginia, yes, you work for the CIA. And then you start following those cars and being showing exactly where they've gone, etc. So it's not just individuals, of course. Governments buy fleets of cars, so, and, and then you have problems there. So now I, I think we've got to be a lot more knowledgeable and security conscious. And that, I'm afraid, means not having these Chinese cellular modules, but buying from the plenty of other countries which would be trusted suppliers because of the risk. So you say that, but one of the things that we came up with in our recent reports on the 1st of December on the UK's direct and indirect exposure on supply chain to China was just how difficult British companies, especially the European companies more broadly, were finding it to deal with the onshoring and friendshoring theme that's now sort of taking hold of a lot of the industries. In other words, moving manufacturing out of China and giving the contract to a German company or a British company or whatever. Because first of all, they haven't got the supply line capacity. They haven't got the people who are properly trained. But also, they haven't got actually a lot of the inputs that they need because those inputs themselves come from China. So my question is, it's all very well us sort of highlighting this as a as a threat, and the report is very credible in its in its analysis. But it's the what to do. It kind of stumps me because if China is making huge amounts of the components that are needed for the cellular IoT modules, then how do we actually remove a whole supply chain of those parts out of China? Is there a plan? And if there isn't a plan. Which country, which government, which department could come up with one to reduce our dependency on China? Well, yeah, I can see that this is, this is of course, a, a really big problem. But first of all, there are plenty of other companies that produce these things. And of course, they've probably been held back by the unfair competition they're receiving. Secondly, and again, this is something that governments, you know, one hopes that GCHQ or NSA are really taking these things apart and looking at it. But it's not necessarily the hardware within them that is the problem. It's the software. And I think you have to make sure that it's not software that's coming from these companies, Quectel or Fibercom or China Mobile, but is actually put in by a supplier that you trust. But I mean, of course, if you're saying, well, ultimately, if the Chinese really want to mess us around, they could withhold some of the other components of these modules. Well, that's true of just about anything in a sense. That's not a, a problem that's specific to these cellular modules. But if they start doing that, or you fear that they're doing that, then you have to start manufacturing them yourself. But as I say, these aren't particularly complex pieces of kit. It seems, it strikes me that this is a very clear cut uh, example of where there's a will, there's a way. Because as you rightly point out at the beginning, the Chinese have not yet been successful in monopolizing this part of the supply chain. And therefore, the, the door is still open for us to push back and support those companies that are competing with the Chinese and ensure that the products we buy come from a, a more immediate supplier. So, so in that sense, uh, it, the report's very timely because it's sort of not too late. We're not having to start from ground zero. But I, I, I think the question I have really is on the broader application of this kind of policy that 
you mentioned whack-a-mole earlier. It appears to be the case that there is constantly another product coming up in which uh, you know the Chinese are cultivating a dependency and we have to be alert to it. Where does the sort of responsibility lie within government for spotting these ahead of time? Where's the departmental responsibility? Well, that's a very good question. And, and in some of the sort of technical matters, I would imagine that GCHQ is the one that, just as it, it, it did with Huawei when it had the cell, looking at Huawei. So GCHQ should be looking at these sorts of data egress threats. But again, it goes to a much wider problem that that I've been talking about for some years now, in that China's intent is to dominate the new sciences and technologies and dominate the new industries from them, because from that you get economic rents, and and that leads to being a sustainable superpower and, and, and having geopolitical power. Yes, it's developing quite a lot itself. It has considerable powers of innovation, etc. But it's also using other methods to get hold of it, either buying our brains, i.e. our startups, or hiring them in our universities and getting our professors to do what is really at times highly inappropriate research into things that either help the repressive state or China's military or whatever. What I've been saying for a long time is that we need a sort of SAGE-type committee that gives a quick answer to companies or to academics that says, I'm sorry, cooperating with China in this or selling your company or taking Chinese investment into your company in this area is simply not permissible. It's either helping the repressive state or the military, and it's a threat to our national security or or long-term prosperity or our values or whatever. Others, yes, no, that's fine. Go ahead. Work with the Chinese. They're they're good. We need to maximize cooperation wherever we can. Or this area, it's a bit gray. On balance, we say yes. Or on balance, we say no. Certainly, that sort of committee is needed. Now, where it lives in government, or who contributes it, is, (laughs) says he ducking the issue, a matter for government. And you can see that that there would be security services input, NSA, Ministry of Defence, Foreign Office to give a, a political angle, Bayes, the Business Enterprise Innovation Science Department, etc., etc. But the the expertise would come from those who really understand the technology, giving advice to government in that sort of sage type committee way. So, Charlie, in, in the last few months, we've seen America really up the ante against China with its uh, announcement of the banning of uh, of chips, advanced chips, I should say, to to China. And there's obviously a lot of people in America who actively want to curtail and push back on China's influence globally. But we're speaking now in the in the aftermath of the balloon issue. What do you think was going on there? And how is that going to impact China-American relations? Because I'm thinking, you know, what you're saying here is just yet another part of the relationship to be sorted out. You know, how much can America rely on on China, and if stunts like the balloon thing keep happening, is that just going to increase the antagonism between the two countries and make it even more difficult for America and China to cooperate on on anything, let alone on on advanced technologies? Well, I'm sad to say, I mean, you know, it would be nice if, if everyone could act in a very mature way and say, look, we have to differ, and in these areas, we're going to work separately. I mean, I always quote the American poet Robert Frost, good fences make good neighbours. And indeed, we need those fences. And from those with those, we can then go out and cooperate with China in areas which aren't sensitive. But I I mean, I I don't think we should get too distracted by balloons. It's just one incident. But the underlying truth is, and if you, as you do, read what the Chinese say, uh, I think it's a fair characterisation to say that China's 
entire foreign policy is based on a deep anti-Americanism, on a systemic competition between their version of systems uh, and ideologies and what they perceive basically to be an American. I mean, they lump us all all in with that. So I think there are going to be uh, increasingly these incidents. The balloon one, well, it doesn't seem on the surface from what the Pentagon and others have been saying that the actual technological threat was was, was that great. But we'll see other things. Um, you know, it may well be that in the next year or two, in the Taiwan Straits, an airplane will clip another airplane as it did 2001, and then we have an incident there. So uh, I'm afraid we are destined for a world in which the D word dominates, whether that's decoupling, de-risking, diverging, um, take your pick. And we would be unwise not to, to prepare for that, just as the Chinese are. I mean, if you look at their policies of, of dual circulation, self-sufficiency wherever you can, etc., etc., they see it quite clearly. I, I think we sadly have to recognise it too. Charlie, thank you very much indeed for, for, for joining us today. And quite clearly, I think the Internet of Things and uh, China's penetration of our communication networks and its ability to harvest data is something that our policymakers need to get on top of as soon as possible, and especially since there is a viable alternative at the moment that needs uh, protecting and nurturing. Uh, so thank you very much for a very timely report and for joining us on this episode of What China Wants. Thank you for the opportunity of contributing.